This is a place where Jesus meets us together as the church, where we come before him to unite our hearts that we can hear what he says to us, that we can make a covenant together as a church, that he can show us her, her sin, and to have the Holy Spirit speak to us and tell us what's in his heart, how to pray, and how to stand. So I thank you for coming today because I know that there's bread in God's house because the Spirit of Jesus is here. Please go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I'll begin reading from verse 7. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us, whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord our God, your God at Horeb, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. We are indeed living under God's blessing as we prayed for earlier. A blessing in being able to worship Jesus and to have the freedom to do so. Because many live in countries where they don't have such freedom. The Bibles aren't passed out freely as they are here. They can't tune into Pilgrim's Progress. There isn't a place where they can freely and openly gather to pray or where they can speak about unrighteousness in their society, but we have that freedom. And God's word is available today to, to remind us how we're to live and walk before him. And as it says, that our laws that we have comes from God, teaches us to be righteous. But then God brings his Holy Spirit to make that happen. So do you know today that Jesus is near and that he wants to answer your prayer? Longing for whether it's a prayer of repentance or it's a prayer to say, Lord, come and open the way. I can't do it. I've struggled with my flesh, and I realize that you are the God that does it. See, we're here today to revere God, not just by what we say, but most importantly by what we do how we walk, how we treat others. So I invite you this week, draw near to Jesus.
because he's calling us to come near. Draw near to him. Doesn't matter how you're feeling. Draw near to him. That's what I did this last week. I drew near to Jesus. And when I drew near to him, oh, he began to open his word. He began to speak to me. He began to bring things to my memory that I had forgotten about one year ago. And I said, Lord, thank you. I needed this. And that changed my entire day. Set my feet to dancing. I said, Lord, you are near. That's what the scripture says, that our God is near. And he wants us to come near to him as a father and to revere him. And to walk in his righteous decrees, not to scorn them. He's not a hard God. He's a loving God. So let's praise Jesus and honor the King today. Amen. The message today is entitled, Tearing the Heart of God. Tearing the Heart of God. Let's pray. Lord, I don't want to tear your heart. I worship you. I want to love you with not just my words, but with my actions. I pray, O God, that you will make plain this message today. In the name of Jesus, amen. There was a man who lived during the time of Isaiah. His name was Hosea, H-O-S-E-A. The Lord spoke to this man, and he said to him, Go choose a wife, a wife who is known to be promiscuous. Go choose a wife who has been a prostitute. I want you to love her. You know, I immediately want to say, Jesus, look, this is the only life I have. You're messing with it. Is Jesus messing with your life? I can tell you he is. He's trying to. And I hear all of these foolish things from people. about how they're trying to get their life straightened out. It's their life. Now, God doesn't recognize your life as your life. Your life belongs to Him. It's His life. And He has a right to do with you whatever He chooses to do. 
So he tells this man, go marry this prostitute. So he went and he married Gomer. And she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said, name him Jezreel. Do you know what Jezreel means? In Hebrew? Any of you? It means God plants. It means God sows the seed. So he has the firstborn child and says, name this child. God did it. God did it. God sowed the seed. And then the Lord says, I'm going to bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and I'm going to put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So I planted this son, and I'm going to kill this son. Now, she conceives again and gives birth to a daughter in verse chapter 1, verse 6. And the Lord said, name this child not loved. Not loved. No compassion. For I will no longer have any compassion on the house of Israel. I will certainly take them away. But I will have compassion on Judah, and I will destroy them, and I will deliver them by the Lord their God. I will not deliver them by bow, sword, or war, or horses and cavalry. He did that with Jehoshaphat. He went out and on one night slew over 100,000 soldiers. He delivered them as he said he would right here. Now, after Gomer had weaned no compassion... She conceives again and gives birth to a son. And she says, name this son, Gomer and Hosea, name this son, not my people. Name them, I don't belong to you anymore. Now, please, what we're watching here is a divorce Divorces are messy. They're heart-rending. They're totally destructive. God hates divorce. Perhaps the reason he hates divorce so much is he went through a divorce. God divorced his people. He said, I will not be your God. I will not belong to you anymore. Can you imagine God speaking to you and saying, okay, don't call me your God anymore. I'm done with you. I'm done. 
I'm not going to be your God anymore and you're not going to be my people anymore. I'm divorcing you. And then the feelings of God well up in his heart. And he says in verse 10, Yet the number of the Israelites will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or counted. He suddenly, God is remembering back to the days of Abraham when the covenant was made. His feelings are totally excited. His compassion is aroused. He says, and in the place where they were told, you are not my people and I'm not your God, I'm done with you. In that place, they will be called sons of the living God. And the, and the Judeans and the Israelites will be gathered together and they will appoint for themselves a single ruler. And they will go up from the land for the day of Jezreel will be great. They will be planted by God. And then the reality of the divorce hits. Please, can I tell you? In a divorce between a husband and a wife, suddenly they will become very active sexually. Often trying to bind together the brokenness of the marriage. They will, they will go do things together pretending that everything's okay. Their heart is rent. They see the end of their dreams. They see the destruction of what they had hoped for. And so they begin to reach out. But the reaching out is too late because the sin and brokenness is too great between them. They wish there was some way they could go back to the way they were before they were married as lovers. When they enjoyed one another's conversation and company, but they can't. The anger and the hurt and the brokenness is so great, they don't trust each other anymore. So God is now going to go back and forth between great compassion you know, why can't you just stop the adultery? Why can't you just stop the fornication? Why can't you stop cheating on me? It's a cry of his heart. Why won't you just love me and let me love you? Why are you walking in this utter brokenness and wickedness before me? I don't, I don't want to divorce you. You hear the cry of God's heart. I don't want to divorce you. But I have to. Because I can't trust you anymore. You have over and over and over broken trust with me. <laughs> Rebuke your mother. Rebuke her. Chapter 2, verse 2. Pardon me, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. And he begins to describe her behavior. 
how she has gone after her lovers. The men who give me my food and water, she says, I will go after. It's obvious that they do not go to the Lord for their manna anymore. They go to the way of darkness. They call their master Baal. God did not want to be called their master. He wanted to be called their husband, their lover. But instead they went to the Baal and called him master and Lord. And I just would ask you, Where do you go for your comfort? Do you call your cell phone master? Do you call your video games your place of rest? Do you call your table where you gorge? Do you call that your place of rest? Do you call your work your source of revenue? Is that where your money comes from? You worship false gods? Now here's a key way of God. When he comes to a point where he says, I have done all I know to do to turn you from the way of darkness. Therefore, this is what I will do. This is chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, this is what I will do. I will block her way with thorns. I will block your way so that you don't get what you want. I'll stop you in your tracks. I'll take the business away so you don't make money. I'll give you a a car accident. I'll give you whatever I have to give you to stop you in your tracks to say, you're not going to do that. You think you can live like the world? You can't. I will not let you. You belong to me. There is a price. I will enclose her with a wall so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers but not catch them. She will seek them but not find them. Then she will think, I will go back to my former husband, for then it was better for me than it is now. So the Lord is saying, I'm going to give you such difficulty that you're going to come to your senses and say, Wow! When I was serving Jesus, things were much better. I think I'd better go back and serve him. Now, the problem with that strategy is that it doesn't work. This is the end to which God is willing to go to stop us in our tracks. But we as Americans have so many ways to outmaneuver God. Very seldom have I found a man or a woman 
who's willing to stop trying to find a way to deliver themselves and say, okay, I'm going to trust you. If I perish, I perish. But I am going to wait on you and you alone will be my husband. You alone have my life in your hands. Instead, we find a myriad of ways to deliver ourselves and to distract ourselves from doing what God has asked us to do. And each of these frustrate the Lord God of heaven even more until finally he simply says, go ahead and practice your religion. I'm not your husband. You're not my wife. I divorce you. And the American church today has been divorced by God. And the sound and the fury of worship continues with the bands and with the jokes and with the entertainment. But God is not in it. Verse 8, she does not recognize that it is I who gave her the grain. Can I put it another way? She does not recognize that all that I have came from the hand of God. And I want to be very clear with you today. Did you have breakfast this morning? It came from the hand of God. Did you drive here? It came from the hand of God. All that we possess, all that we have, comes from the hand of God. And any illusion that we have the power to create for ourselves is just that, a delusion. Until we're willing to stop and acknowledge that it is God alone who has called us, it is God alone who has walked with us, it is God alone who has given us strength and courage to wait upon Him. Now I'm going to show you in just a minute One of the ways of God is that when we turn back to him in the desert, we're going to have to walk for a while without his loving presence. Somebody said to me this past week, Pastor, I'm just serving Jesus, and every day is hard, and every day is long, and there's no comfort from God in my life, I am simply getting dealt everything the hard way. I'm expected to be responsible. I'm expected to do what he tells me. I'm expected to do what's right. And it seems that God could at least reward me with a little love. I said he gave you all of his love a long time ago and you threw it on the ash heap. Now you're going to do it the hard way. See, we can do this deal with God the easy way or we can do it the hard way. Most of us prefer the hard way. 
where we simply have to grind out day after day being responsible, being mature, and these emotions overtake us and we say, oh, poor me, I don't want to do this. What am I going to do? Run off to your God and get some comfort. Go play a video game. Go watch some professional sports. Go watch your Steelers. You know, go, go do something to comfort your heart. Because we don't like it straight and clean and tough. But that comes to us because we've been unfaithful before God. So when we become faithful before God, suddenly everything does not shift and change. God is going to walk us now through this until we're willing to acknowledge our utter unworthiness before God and that all that we possess and all that we have comes from the hand of God and that He does not owe us love. He owes us the divorce court. God does not owe us anything. Every gift that comes down from heaven is from the Father of lights, and it is a gift. It is not my due. So I wonder today, are you grinding out faithfulness day after day? with no sense of the presence of God? And are you feeling like a victim? Are you feeling like, you know, why are you being so tough on me, God? What have I done? Played with the devil. That's what we've done. You know what? I don't like grinding it out day after day. You know what? We don't grow up until we do it. I tell young men, you'll never grow up until you go to work and have to work hard. Hard, suffering work grows a young man up faster than any other single thing they can do. We don't grow up until we have to work. Some of us were blessed because we grew up on farms and there was a razor strap behind the orders of our dads. Go to work, Raymond. You can't go swimming until that row of corn and that row of corn stretching how many acres across that field until you've hoed that out. I've put a lunchbox for you down at the other end of the field. You can't eat it until you get there. And when you get there, you sit down and eat that lunch, and then you start back on this row. And you start when the dew is on the corn, so it's slapping you in the face. And you hoe it out. Well, I was blessed as a child to have to work that way. Some of you were not blessed with that kind of hard labor. Dirty labor. But then you never got to go to the river and go swimming either. Ride the inner tube. 
Please understand what I'm saying to you. Some of you feel like victims today because you're having to grind it out and you're running off every chance you can to look at your telephone like it's going to somehow save you. And you're thinking the whole time you're working hard, oh, just wait until I get home. I'm going to pleasure myself. There's a ball game on tonight. God's going to grind it out with us until we finally acknowledge that every good thing comes from his hand. He says, I will take back my grain, my new wine. I'm going to put an end to her celebrations and her feasts and her new moons and her Sabbaths and her festivals. I'm going to devastate her vines and her fig trees. I'm going to strip her out. He does not treat pagans this way, by the way. This kind of treatment is reserved for people God loves. For people who said, I will serve the Lord. Pagans, go have your wonderful life. Go to it. Jump in the pig trough. Eat what you want. Go where you want. Have what you want. Because your heaven is right now. You'll have no heaven later, so enjoy your pig trough now. Go for it all. But the Christian, he says, no, you're my wife. Don't play with me, or I'll discipline you. Deal faithfully. And then he says, this is chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, I'm going to pursue her and lead her to the wilderness. And I'm going to speak tenderly to her. And there I'll give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Achor into a gateway of hope. Remember, the valley of Achor is where the execution took place. He's saying, in the place of execution, I'm going to open the door where you think you're going to die because of how God is treating you. I'm going to open a door of hope in that place. And there she will respond as she did in the days of her youth. In other words, God is going to do everything God possible. To turn your heart toward him. To show you that he loves you. That he cherishes you. But if you stubbornly keep grumbling against him. You know, I say to a person. Why don't you just love your husband? Well, uh, 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 why don't you just love him? 
Why don't you just love your wife? Well, if you saw what she did and what she... No, why don't you just love your wife? Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. So is your wife or is your husband your enemy today? Why don't you just love them? Is your boss your enemy? Why don't you just love him or her? Well, I'm not being treated the way I deserve. And I don't like what's happening in my life. And I'm going to make people respect me. Oh, really? You got some desert time coming. Got some discipline time coming. You've got some hard labor coming. Well, don't put me under authority, Pastor. I'll go where I want to go and I'll do what I want to do and I'll say what I want to say. Don't tell me what's right and wrong, preacher. Oh, you got some desert time coming. That attitude will never get you through the pearly gate. Well, you better respect me. It's hard to respect a person stripped naked. We're much more inclined to laugh than to be serious in respect. You know, guys, we have to have some sense of humor about this incredible work of God that he's doing in our lives. You either are going to cry or you're going to laugh. You don't have an option to do anything but one of those two. And frankly, I choose to laugh with joy that God would care so much about me that he would put me in these very difficult positions where I had to take his word so seriously. It's like my mother. She used to crack me up. She'd give me a whipping. And then she'd say, come here, Raymond. So I'm coming tears, I'm mad. Do you know why I gave you a whipping? Because I was bad. No. I gave you a whipping because I love you. And I'd say to myself, is that what love looks like? Please stop loving me. (laughs) So I'd say to her, Mama, I hate you. Would you please hate me? I didn't want any more of her love. You want God's love? It comes with a whipping. but it brings a harvest of righteousness. And today I'm so grateful for my mama giving me those whippings and my dad for giving me those whippings and saying, 
no, Raymond, you're not going to do that. You're not going to go there. You're not going to act like that. You are going to have a kind heart. You're going to be respectful of others. You're not going to be full of yourself. You're not going to scowl at the family that way and think you can come and sit down at the dinner table. How many times I sat down at the dinner table with this terrible scowl on my face and my daddy would say to me, Raymond, what would you do if your face froze like that? (laughs) And I'd crack up laughing. I couldn't think of anything worse than my face freezing in that frown. (laughs) Or he'd say, Raymond, what? You're scaring us. That's a Halloween mask you have on. And you couldn't keep it. Do you understand? God deals with us because he loves us. And he's tired of us being zoned out. He's tired of us wearing frowning faces and playing the victim. Chapter 3. Jose's wife has run off. She's not living with him anymore. She's not taking care of the three kids. He's at home alone taking care of the kids. She's off party time girl. Making money as a prostitute. And the Lord said to him, go get her. Love her again. Look how she hurt me. Look how she's been disloyal. And you want me to go love her again? If I go, I'm going to kill the guy she's with. No. Just go get her. And love her. Well, he goes to get her. And discovers that she owes a debt. And he's going to have to buy her. It's going to cost him six ounces of silver. It's going to cost bushels of grain. He pays the bride price. And he says to her, this is chapter 3, verse 3, you must live with me many days. Don't be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same toward you. Isn't it interesting? He does not say, you come and live with me, woman, but I'm going to cheat with anybody I want because you cheated on me, I'm going to cheat on you. That's not God. God never cheats on us. Now listen to this. This is what I was speaking of. She's back home. 
the Israelites, verse 4, must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar. He's saying, you're going to have to live for many days without me a blood sacrifice. That means they don't get the meat to eat. It's going to be hungry time. And neither do you get the pleasure of going to the sacred pillar where you have the temple prostitute. So you're not going to get the pleasure from the prostitute, and you're not going to get the pleasure from my presence. Without ephod or household idols. The ephod was what they used to get an answer from God. So you're going to have to live now for a time, and God will not answer your prayers. And you're not going to be able to go to a god, to a witch. You're not going to be able to get any answers. You're going to walk many days without any comfort. You're going to have to grind it out because of your sin. And it doesn't matter where you're at emotionally. This is not about emotion. This is about grinding out righteousness day after day after day with no comforting from God, from no comforting from the Holy Spirit to test you and see if you're really serious about walking in righteousness before God. It's called earning God's trust. A man cheats on his wife, or a woman cheats on her husband. What has to happen? Trust has to be reestablished. So they may go for some time without even making love. She may be checking his cell phone every day, or he may be checking hers every day. They may be going on each other's Facebook page. I've had wives call me. Do you know where my husband is? I'm sorry, I don't. Why? I'm just checking on him. Just checking on him. Making sure he's not cheating. Because if he cheats, I'm gone. He did it once. If he does it again, I'm gone. God wants to know, are you going to cheat on him again? Are you going to go after the things of darkness again? Are you going to cheat on Jesus? Now, some of you have no patience for walking out this kind of discipline of God, grinding out day after day. I will be where I said I would be. I will do what I said I would do. I will be faithful in all things before God. It doesn't matter how I feel. It only matters that I obey the word of God and do what he asked me to do. And some of you have no desire to do that. You're going to swing with the emotions one way or the other. When it feels good, you're going to do it. When it doesn't feel good and you get an attitude, you're going to bite your husband or you're going to bite God or you're going to bite somebody.
But after this testing, it says in verse 5, Afterward, the people of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come with awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Do you understand what's happening in Israel right now? God is testing Israel. And because they are committing fornication with other nations, including America, because they are not turning for their trust in Jesus Christ, many in Israel are going to die in a great war that is about to break out. Why would God allow war to come on Israel again? Because they have refused to return and seek their Messiah. Chapter 4, the Lord gives his case against Israel. And he says in verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge, not because you did not know, but because you rejected the word of knowledge that came to you and you said, I will have it my way. Now, chapter 6 is a call to repentance. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days. And on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Let us strive to know the Lord His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. That's the promise of Jesus coming at the end of time to his people. Three days in the grave. And then the resurrection. Now the Lord begins to wail. It's not pretty when God wails. He laments. Chapter 6, verse 2. This is the first lament. What am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? Your loyalty is like the morning mist and like the early dew that vanishes. Verse 6. For I desire loyalty and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But they, like Adam, have violated the covenant. They have betrayed me. So the first lament of God is, how can I let you go? I love you. I want you to hear that personally today. God is saying to you, I love you. How can I let you go? And the first great sin against God is not being loyal to him, but turning aside from him. From saying, if you're going to treat me like this, I'm out of here, God. I'm not going to put up with your discipline. I'm going to have it my way. I'm out of here. The second great sin, chapter 7, verse 13, Woe to them, for they fled from me. 
Though I want to redeem them, they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from their hearts. Rather, they wail on their beds. They slash themselves for grain and new wine. So he's saying, the second great sin of my people is that when I come to them, they run away from me. They run away from me. Chapter 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. It was I, verse 3, who taught Ephraim to walk, taking, taking them by the arms. I led them with cords of human passion, with ropes of love. It was God who taught us how to walk. It was God who held us in his arms as we made our baby sounds. It was God who held us in his arms. He's the one who bent down and fed us. He does not want to give us up. He does not want to give you up. Jacob struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. Chapter 12, verse 4. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with him. My friends, the book of Hosea is for the modern church. It's for us. God wants to be in charge of your life. He's calling you. He's taught you how to walk. He's taught you the gospel. He wants you to walk with him. He does not want to give you up. But it means being willing to go all the way to the bottom with Jesus and casting everything of our heart and our future upon him. He is waiting for every one of us at the National Prayer Chapel to totally and completely cut off the ways of darkness 
and the seductions of evil. And give ourselves to crying out to him and seeking his face. Lord Jesus, I ask that you will bring forth a people of righteousness from the prayer chapel. That you will turn our hearts completely toward you. Opening before us the way of life. Lord, I cannot begin to tell you how grateful I am for the way you have carried me on this journey. Patiently, kindly, teaching me to walk, drawing me with cords of of human love and compassion. Thank you for the stern discipline Thank you for the months and years I've had to grind it out day by day. Lord, I just offer it all back to you and say, Lord, I love you because you first loved me. I glorify your name, Jesus. In the house of your people, I I lift my hands and I glorify your name, Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. To you, Jesus, I pray in your holy name. Amen.